morning. We got lots of ground to cover. Today's daf is daf no Live page 51, but we're on the very, not the very top line. We're up to the second line on Nunama base. All right? So let's see how much ground we can cover. All right? We're going to move along. Mincha is also a little earlier, so we started early plus added 10 more minutes. Let us get going. The Mishnah said, A lender cannot come and collect property that's been sold because it's lien property if the borrower still has available property for him to collect from. Okay, so Ruven lent Shimon $5,000. Shimon at the time had great property. Five years later, he's coming to, to collect the 5000 By the time he collects, the property that he had his eye on has been sold. He cannot take the sold property if there's still available property for him. Boy, Rabbi Chadvoy Barami, Rabbi Chadvoy Barami asked the question of information. What if Shimon gave it as a matona, not as a sale? What if he gave it as a matona? Can the lender then go and take away the gift land before taking the land that Shimon still owns? Now, what's the Shiloh? Is it Takanta Hudavi Rabbanu Bishum Seidel Kuchas? Is the reason why you can only take from available property of the lender is it because it's going to ruin the whole structure of of sales? Sarabana made a takana that we don't want people who buy property to be uh, disenchanted from purchasing properties in case somebody else might come and collect it. Avol matana when it comes to a gift, like the nobody paid for this land. Lie, I would say that he could go and collect from that property that's given away. Demo perhaps. Matananami, by a, by a gift as well. If, by, by every gift, this beautiful you cite. If the borrower would not have received benefit, what would have given him a gift? Therefore, it is considered a loss. This is Gavalt. Why do people give gifts? 99% of the time, it's because it's also to your advantage. It's to my advantage as well to give a gift. And there's a number of reasons why it could be to my advantage. Either I don't want you to be upset, or it's because I want to build a relationship with you. And when you build relationships with people, by definition, long-term, it always works to your advantage. So says the Gemara, you know, there's times where you could have somebody on their deathbed and giving away gifts, and, and uh, or even not on a deathbed, but in just altruistic, there's completely give away, and it's anonymous, and there's no gain whatsoever. Nobody's going to even know. But majority, majority of the time, even when there's a gift, it's considered a benefit. And therefore, it would take the same status as a sale. So that's the shaila. okay? Again, we know the Allah is if the borrower sells the land, when the lender comes to collect, he cannot take that land away if there's still available land. But what if he gave it as a gift? So Zok to Gemara like this. Listen to the following this guy starts giving away money. 10 grand to this guy, 30 grand to this guy, 50 grand to this guy. We don't say whoever comes first with the document to Bezdin is Zeichem. Therefore, okay, now what happened? What happened was like this this guy's on his deathbed 10 grand, 30 grand, 50 grand. Thailum comes to collect and he had $25,000 in his estate. So who gets it? So we say we don't say that um, wh- whoever comes first to get first come first serve. Lefikach, therefore, what do we do? Yatsa love star If somebody comes with a star okay, against the um, against the shchiv meira, then gaiva mikulam. The star chayv could allow him to collect 
from everybody. So what happened is this guy's on the deathbed, 10 grand, 30 grand, 50 grand, he's giving away gifts to all his friends. <clears throat> Comes along a lender who says, by the way, Yankel owed me $8,000. There's really only 17000 in the estate. Okay? So halacha is the, the lender comes first. And then we're going to have to divvy up the remaining 17. However, we, uh, we divvy it up. Aval, but Im Amar, if the Shkib Meirah says, Tenuma Sayim Zuz, Leplani Vakrav, Leplani Vakrav, Leplani. First give 200, to give 10 grand to this guy, then 30 grand to this guy, then 50 grand to this guy. We'll say whoever comes first in the document gets first. We'll say first the 10,000 guy collects, then the, the 30,000 guy collects. If somebody comes with a shtarcha, if he lent money, he can only collect from the achron. He gets from the last one. What does it mean, the last one? It means the last one that had money available for him. So, Shkibera writes $10,000 to Yankel, $30,000 to Beru, $50,000 to Shmeru. A lender comes, and he's and the, the estate has 35000 so then, Yankel's going to get, Beryl's going to get, but not the total amount. Beryl is going to be $5,000 short of what's available for him. But the lender can only take, Shmarl's going to get nothing, there's no money from him. The lender's going to take from Beryl. I, why doesn't he get before Yankel? Because Yankel's document was written first. At the time that Yankel's document was written, there was enough left for the lender to have. The only reason why there's not enough money for the lender to have is because Beryl collected. So therefore, he takes from the last one, Ainli. What if the last one doesn't have enough? So then, Ainli, what if he doesn't have? Gaib Michel Lafanov, he goes before him. Ainli, Gaib Michel Lafanov. Okay. Regular Svaradikal logic. Vafagab de Kaima Beninis, Ubas Raziburis. And this holds true, ready for this? That you can only collect from the last one. It doesn't make a difference what quality property was taken. This is true, even if the first one got Beninus and the last one got Ziburis, Miziburis Gavi, Beninus like Gavi. It only takes Ziburis and Beninus. Let's pause for a minute. Usually, when somebody lends, when somebody's owned money through a loan, what, is he, what type of property is he allowed to collect from? Ziburis, Beninus, or Idias? We learned Beninus. You can take Beninus. Okay? Says the Brysa like this If Yankel took 10K of land and Beryl took 30K of land, and Yanko's land was Beninus, and Beryl's land was Ziburis, the lender could still only take the Ziburis land. Even though I I, 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 I should have been entitled to Beninus, yeah, but there was enough left over for you. Enough value left over for you to get your total loan from Beryl. So you can't go back to Yanko for Beninus, you're going to be stuck with Ziburis. Shmami, no, you see from here, the Matana Nami of Rabbanatakanta. This is talking about what happened. This guy's on his deathbed. To Matana. So you see the Rabbana made their decree even by a uh, even by a gift. Says what? Well, no proof. Maybe that's only by a lender. Who says it applies to Matanas? Says the Gemara of Tanu Kamar. He said give Matana. Tanu Bukhaivi. The Shkimira wasn't necessarily giving away gifts. Maybe he's saying, please pay pay back in that order. Says the Gemara, that's ridiculous. One second, let's pause. If the Shkimira is going in order of loans that he wants to pay back, guess what? It's not up to him to pay back Yankel first and then Beryl and then Shmeryl. It's not up to him to go in that order. What's it going to depend on? The actual chayv, the actual star chayv. How early was the document? Whoever's got the earliest 
whoever's loan came first, they're going to get first. V'lechsi started the mandikadim. Why don't we give the star? If that's the case, we should give uh, payment to the one who comes first. The Gemara says the lekish star. It wasn't. There's no documentation of of dates. I've called a kodem b'shtar gomar, but it says whoever brings their document first. So don't tell me there's no documents. So we say, you're right. There is a document, but without a date. B'shtar pakarta. Viva yisaim. Okay, so that's one approach. Viva yisaim. Or you could say if you we're even dealing with the shchemira paying back with a gift like kasha. I'm sorry, not he's paying back with a gift. The shchemira is saying give 10k to this guy, 30k to this guy, 50k to this guy. All as a gift. Ah, if it's all as a gift. So then we have a question over here. We see that the Rabbana made their takana even by matanas. There's no question because my goyva min What does it mean you collect in the last one? It means ain nifsad el achor. It means the last one's the only guy who's going to lose out on the gift. But, 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 what's the lender going to collect from? The first guy. Yanko, I want to pause and explain. We try to bring a raya, we try to bring a proof as follows. This is, this is very methodical, you ready? We wanted to prove that if somebody gives away a gift, so you could still only collect from the lender, going collect from the last guy. As it said, Yanko, even if Yanko takes Bainanus and Beryl takes Ziburis, you see the lender can only collect from Ziburis. Says the Gemara, wrong. You're misunderstanding. Here's what the Bryce really means. If Yanko collects 10K in Beninus and Beryl collects 25K in Ziburis, the lender could go to Yanko and take the Beninus. He very much may. Uh, you said you could only cause a loss to the last one. Says Gamar, you're right. See, here's what's going to happen the lender will take the Beninus and then Yanko will go and take away from Beryl. And who's going to be the one losing? Beryl. But it's not that the lender is not going to end up a Bainanus. The lender will end up a Bainanus. But whose land is he getting that from? Yankel. But Yankel will still end up with the value of his gift. Who's going to lose out on the value of the gift? Beryl. Okay. Or you could say that the case of the Shemira is where he gives 10... K of Ziburis to Yankel, 10, 25K of Ziburis to it was, it was all Ziburis. Okay? And if it was all Ziburis, so that's what we say you collect from the last one. All right? Either way, we wiggled out of our proof. Says the Gemara Vaita. We do not collect for Achilas Peres. Okay. What's this halacha? So we learned that if you have um, fruit that that grew during the time where it was by the uh, where it was by the buyer. So the halacha is the buyer cannot collect his rights from fruit that other people grew from later lands. My time of wine not. Amar Ulu Amar Rishlokish Ulu says in the name of Rishlokish Lefi She'ein Ksuvin because it's not Ksuvin because there's no Ksuvin over here. There's no Nobody has a uh, uh, sale document. But we know every man is responsible to pay for Mazain, for his wife and daughters, the command It's as if it's written. You don't need, a, you don't need a, literally a contract. The fact that a husband's obligated to take care of his wife with food. 
and shelter and his children, and we still said, you can't take back from those people who purchased in order to support the wife and children. He says back to him, Hasam over there, Meikara Hachi Iskut. It was a, it was there was a takana like this. Ksuvim Haim Etzli Menechar. If somebody's obligated, a husband or father is obligated to support a wife and a daughter, that you can only collect from Benechairin. The wife and daughter can only go and collect from available property. They cannot collect from Nechasim Mishubadim, meaning any property that's been brought in somebody else's domain, they're not allowed to collect from. Okay? But it's a gzera, special gzera of the Chachamim, not related to anywhere else. Same thing. Right, there's just another lashon. Same thing, just with a alisha uh, with a, uh, another lashon, and it's the uh, just different names. Before we said it was Rav Abanula, here it was Ravasi and Rabbi Echina. Okay. Rav Chanina Omar, Rav Chanina says, Lefisha in Kitsuvim, the reason why somebody who buys land cannot, and, and somebody buys land, turns out that it was stolen, cannot uh, take back his loss from people that he sold it to, Lefisha in Kitsuvim. There's no set price. Okay, there's no set price. Which means, at the time that somebody stole land, you don't really know what it's going to produce. So you can't place a value on what's going to come out. Memela, you can't allow somebody who bought stolen lands to try to ask for, for uh, what's it called, to, to fill your loss. I'm sure there's a better, law, better expression than that. search of information. Do you need that it's both fi- a fixed price in order to be obligated to pay, to, to mun the money and, uh, and written, or perhaps top of today's daf, Kitsuvim needs to be a fixed price. If it's not in a document, what's the main idea over here? Because he mentioned Ksuvim. mentioned that it needs to be a fixed price. Tashmakam, listen, didn't we learn? Somebody passes away and he leaves behind two daughters and a son. The first daughter comes and takes 10% as her nedunya, as her dowry. Now, the halacha is that when women would get married, so the father was obligated to give up the 10% of his estate to help marry his daughter off. We had that in, uh, we had that in Ksubis, and this was the expected um, percentage of what's going to be given to help, to help uh, the young couple get started. So you have two daughters and a son, and this guy passed away. So the first daughter goes and takes 10% of the estate. So now there's $1,000 in the estate, we're down to 900. She took her $100, and that's going to be her dowry. The second daughter did not collect her dowry. What's her 10% going to be? $90 from the remaining 900. She didn't collect that until the son died. So now her brother died. So her father died, and her brother died. Now who's going to end up with all the money? The two sisters. There's no son. The two sisters end up with the money. So... <clears throat> What do you do? Do you split $900? Because the second daughter did not set aside 90 as her nadunya, so there's still $900 left in the state. Or 
Does she get her 90 and then you divide the 810? Okay? You hear the Shaila? So, the second one was Mevater. She could have uh, separated before the, her brother died and she didn't. So the fact that she didn't uh, separate it. It's, uh, right? The, uh, she, she's not allowed to take her 10% before dividing the estate. You know, there's even a bigger Kiddush than this. Allah is, in order to support the daughters, you're allowed to take, take land from those who purchase property from the father, the Parnassa, to, to um, give them Parnassa. This is, this is the dowry. We're not to take it for Mazainas to feed them. And you're going to say the second one. Excuse me. The second one is Mevater. Of course it could be collected because the halacha is you could even collect inherited land that hasn't yet been given out. It says the Gemara about Parnassah when it comes to a dowry, the Mikates Kaitsa, this is the 10%. Remember, we said before, the only time there's, you, you can't collect once, you know, once things have been di- uh, distributed is when there's no fixed amount, there's no set price. Dowry is a set price, there's $900 left. So the $90 should be considered like a set amount that goes to the second daughter of a Kamaitsiya. And therefore, I, I'm sorry, and we still see from here, it's a, in, over here it's fixed The like siva And there's nothing written And you could collect it So again wh- Let's go back to how we started We started out with a shayla On the bottom of Nunamud base What was our shayla? Rabbi Hanina asked the question When we when Rabbi says You can't take back the value of the produce Because it's not a fixed price We said does it either be fixed and written or not Here you see is, As long as it's a fixed price you could, even though it's not written. So we have a good raya. You don't need it to be aksuva. You don't need it to be written. Says Gemara, no shiny parnasa. Maybe a dowry is different. Kivan de isleikala because since there's noise about this, what do you mean there's noise? The way that things work, Rashi explains, is when a husband, when a father dies, the daughters before anything happens, each one's entitled to ten percent of the estate for her for her dowry. Kala, this is just the way. That, that uh, there's noise about this. People are aware of this. Therefore, command Siva dummy. It's as if it's a contract. It's as if it's it's uh, written down. But maybe Kenzain in other situations where it's not as well known with the amount that the person is entitled to take back after death. You may very well need both that it is katsuv that it's a fixed price and also katsuv also that it is written down. Okay. Masiv Ravuna Barmanayach. Ravuna Barmanayach asks a challenging question. Mesu, you have two people who die. Two people pass away. Okay. Here's the problem. We learned this in Subas, Gishmaka case. Um, the case is like this. Look in Rashi. Um, a little less than halfway down on the Yomad. It's a really, really, really fascinating case. Alright? If we could... Uh, the Dibra Maskal is Mesu B'naiseyam Nezaynes V'chulu. See it? A little less than halfway down in Rashi. It's halfway down in the Gemara. Mesu B'naiseyam Nezaynes V'chulu. That's the Dibra Maskal. Right? So here we go. Listen to this case. 
Somebody marries a woman who posca imai and he makes a psak with her, which means he makes an agreement with her. He's going to support her kids for five years. He's going to support his stepdaughter for five years. He marries her, just guaranteed five years support. Their marriage lasts a year. Now here's the deal. He's still obligated to support this girl. Because at the time of marriage, he agreed that this girl is going to be taken care of for five years. Got it? She marries somebody else. And they make the same agreement. I'm going to support your daughter for five years. So he's obligated to feed her for five years. Okay? So what do we do? So what we do is one actually gives her food. Because you can't have both husbands now say, they, they both agreed financially. You can't have both men say, oh, the first husband's going to be a Russia, let's say. He say, oh, I said I'll support her. Here, uh, I'll send her pancakes every day. She doesn't eat pancakes. She's eating plenty of food in her, in her other stepfather's house. So what's the food going to do for her? Garnished. So the halacha is, the first guy now has to change over to money. Or the second guy, one of them. But one's going to give money, and one's going to give food. What if they both now die? So both men, uh, bo- uh, both men uh, pass away. Okay? Um, that's going to be the case where we pick up. So the halacha is, this is where we pick up. Ready? So let's go back into our Gemara. If both of these men die, their daughters and the Zionists and their daughters take from the which is their real daughters, the he and this stepdaughter, she um, could be supported even from Nachasim Mishubadim, from a property that has a that has a lien on it. Why? Because she can she's considered a Balaschaif. Now over here says the Gemara that you don't have a, a document over here. So why are we allowing her to get from the Chasim Bishubadim? Okay, she acquired it from the hand of the actual uh, stepfather. Okay, and therefore again, it's as if there was a document. Says His own daughters also should be able to collect from the Chasim Bishubadim. No, there were... The, the, there was uh, Adam that the man Mamish gave over rights with his hands to his stepdaughter, but he didn't give over rights to his own daughters. My Pasca says the Gemara. Well, uh, what's with this vague psak then? Yeah, it's a vague psak. A person's going to do something to to give to his stepdaughter, but he's not going to do something for for his uh, own daughters. Says the Gemara. Yeah, because Bas Ishtay have a bishas Kenyan, Mahani Kenyan. His stepdaughter, who was there at the time of marriage, which the time of the financial agreement, so she's directly uh, part of, uh, hands-on part of that agreement. But his own personal daughter, that she wasn't there at the time of that marriage, she wasn't involved in the, any specific transaction, no specific Kenyan is going to work for her, and therefore she can only collect from Nechassim Bnei Chayim, she cannot collect from Nechassim Meshubadim. Ask the Gemara, but aren't we dealing with and what, what if both were alive at the same time? Meaning, 
Not that this guy's daughter was born later. What if this guy had his own daughters even earlier? Yeah, so you have a, a case where he married a woman who had a daughter, and then he got divorced, Vahadra, and then had his own daughters, Vahadra, and took her back. So in these cases as well, when they're alive at the time of the Kenyan, we should say that they could also collect from Nechosim Mishubadim, from property that had a lien on it. Says the Gemara, you're right, Ella, rather the case must be, Bitai, when it came to his daughter, to Besnoi Bezdin Ka'achla. She's always going to be fed according to the Tanai Bezdin. Bezdin made a Tanai that the estate of a man is always going to support his own personal daughters. And therefore, Lai Mahan Lakinian, the Kinian is not going to override the Tanai Bezdin. When it comes to his stepdaughter, the Lav Betanai Bezdin Ka'achla Mahan Lakinian, the Kenyan will work for her. But then his own daughters are, are gara. They're, they're soft. They're weak. Yeah. Meaning that, you know, it seems that they're coming out at a loss. But on the other hand, they're coming out ahead. They're coming out ahead. Why are they coming out ahead? Because they have the Tanai Bezdin ensuring that they're always, uh, they're always going to be supported. The whole transaction is not going to be uh, with the same understanding because he's going to say about his own kids, that people will say about his own kids that, that uh, they, uh, he gave them money on the side. He used to give them an allowance in order to pay up for his obligation. And therefore we don't allow her to collect from the chasim mishubadim. However, his stepdaughter, we don't assume that uh, a stepfather will do this for his stepdaughters, and hence they could already collect from Nechosim Mishubadim. So a lot of it has to do with what the expectation is uh, of what, what the husband did for his, what the husband slash father did for his daughters before, before he died. Again, his own daughters, we assume he gave them money to have on the side, and therefore no, no collection from Nechosim Mishubadim because they have a weaker hand. Maybe they already received what was promised. The most they could do is collect from Bnei Chayr. His stepdaughter doesn't have that advantage, and therefore she could even collect from Nechosim Meshubadu. Okay. Zog the Gemara Baiter Tashma, come and listen to the following Brisa. Amar Reb Nassim, Reb Nassim says, Eimasai, when is the Allah of our Mishnah? That when, um, when somebody buys land, he cannot, and then it t- turns out that it was stolen land, he cannot go back and try to take money back for the produce or for any money he put into land. Where there was somebody else who bought it before he added money, invested in the first land. But if the first guy, the first buyer, already invested and put money into the land before the second guy bought it, then the first fellow, the first buyer, could collect from the second buyer because he'd already invested it before the second buyer even opened up his wallet. So what do you see from here? What's the question? Alma, you see from here, you see that the reason why, the only reason why we don't allow the first guy to collect from Bnei Chayrim is because he didn't come first. But if he did come first, you could collect from Nechasim Meshubadim. Now, now, you see from over here that even situations where there's no direct uh, document you could collect, you're still allowed to collect from Nechasim Meshubadim. Says the Gemara, Tanoihi, 
It's not a question because it's actually a machlok estanom. It's not a question because it's actually a machlok estanom. We should not collect all these obligations when they take an island for the benefit of the world. The fish ain't suvin. Now the reason why it's for the benefit of the world is from the fish ain't suvin because there's no specific. Uh, there's no sp- uh, specific uh, documentation. What shaykh is the tikkun oilam? There's no set amount for these as well. And therefore, even without the decree, you wouldn't be allowed to collect from Nechasim HaShibadim. So you see, again, that there must be a machoikis, whether or not you could collect from Nechasim HaShibadim if you don't have a ksav, if you don't have a written recording. We have machoikas amiram that we mentioned, and now we have a machoikas amongst the uh, amongst the Tanoim um, with uh, the Tanakama and Rabbi Yaisi. Okay. Finally. Last stage of the Mishnah. Two dots. Ready? Here we go. What else did the Chachamim decree? Chachamim made the following decree. Usually if I agree, if I admit to owing partial payment, I need to take an oath on a Torah. It's called the Maidah B'Mikzas. Okay? What does this mean? The reason why a Maidah B'Mikzas has a weakened, if somebody admits the partial claim, has a weakened claim, is because his claim has less chutzpah to it. And since there's less chutzpah, we have to strengthen him. We assume people aren't major mechutzaf. So if somebody lends somebody else a thousand dollars, the guy says, you never lent me a penny. It's on the lender to prove. And the guy who's denying the entire thing does not need to take an oath. Why? Backing up his claim is nobody would dare to be have such chutzpah in the face of somebody who lent them a thousand dollars. It must be, you're telling the truth. You're telling the truth. Unless prove it otherwise. But if somebody were to say, you owe me a thousand dollars, and the guy says, no, I owe you five hundred. So you got to pay five hundred and then take an oath you don't owe the other five hundred. Because there's less, it's, easy, it's an easier claim for somebody to make. So the Rabbana made a takana that when it comes to returning lost objects, even if you admit to partial return, you don't need to take an oath. So I return something that a wallet, and there's $500 in the wallet. The, the loser says, I had $1,000 in there. We don't say to the returner, give the 500 and take an oath. Let's get into this. Amar Yisak. Rabbi says, If somebody says, I lost two wallets, and they were kshurim, they were tied together. That's my sign. That's how I know it's mine. Somebody says, puts up a sign, money found. A guy shows up, he says, I lost money. It was two, wa- two wallets tied together. The law Imer, the father says, the, the finder says, I found one wallet. Allah is Nishba. The finder swears that he only found one wallet. Okay? Somebody says, I lost two oxen that were kshurim, that were tied together. But the finder says, I found one ox in a nishba. You don't swear, my time, why? Shvarim, 
benatchei meadani. Oxen naturally separate from each other. And therefore, the owner can never say, oh, you owe me another one. How do you know? It's taka possible the guy only found one ox. Okay? Kisin, laimenasi meadani. Wallets don't usually fight and walk in their own direction. Usually not. Okay? And therefore, a guy could say to the finder, I know for a fact there were two wallets. Give it back to me. Now, obviously, let's pause for a second. You um, said the finder, you the fellow lost. I'm sorry? You said the finder. No, the finder takes an oath. The finder takes an oath that there's only one wallet there. Now, obviously, let's pause for a second. Obviously, it has to be where it was clearly the losers. Either way. And I'll tell you, right, there's a well-known story that we've shared before with one of the uh, Rabbanim in Europe. There used to be a fair in... Uh, what's the famous fair in all the... in all the uh, yeshiva stories? Lipzig? Lipzig. Lipzig. Big fair in Lipzig. Yeah, that's where everybody... So there's a woman... A Jewish woman who found a purse at the fair and a non-Jewish fellow came and claimed it was his and she returned it to him but this guy was an anti-Semite and said claimed that there were uh, a thousand coins in there when she only returned 500 and he went to the cops and they had her arrested for stealing the other 500 and she was up in arms she didn't know what to do she was sabrachim very broken, how's she going to prove that, she, that she's uh, innocent? And this guy was very well connected. This, uh, this non-Jewish fellow is very uh, connected to the courts and she didn't have much hope. So she went to the Rav who said, not to worry, I'll, I'll come with you to the, to the court, the court case, which was Mamish the next day. They went in and to make a dramatic story, non-dramatic and quick, the Rav basically told the judge, I know this woman, she's incredibly honest, and I know for a fact she would not have taken the money. If this guy insists that there were a thousand coins in there, I insist it's not his. It must be that this is somebody else's wallet, and his thousand, his thousand coins are still lost elsewhere. And he brought a whole approach, and the mice of the judge passed him like him, and this guy was obligated to give the 500 back to the woman. He lost, uh, he ended up losing out on the, on the total amount. So, you know, we're obviously not dealing with a case where somebody says, oh, you found two purses tied together, two wallets tied together, and the finder's like, there's only one. We're not doing the case without, well, it's, that, it's not yours, right? It, there was simonim on each one, so we know it's his, but what the loser is saying is there was an additional one. So we say, okay, we know it's yours. You're saying it was this one. So we'll tell the finder to make a shrewd because wallets don't separate on their own. Oxen, however, may separate on their own. Says the Bryce of Eiter. If somebody comes and says, you found two, uh, two oxen, another guy says, I, I did find two, but let me tell you why there's one. I already gave you one back. I'm not denying I found two. I gave you one, and here's the other one. Harezen Nishba. So again, he's going to have to take a shua. Rabbi Yitzchak, he's going to have to take a shua. In other words, because it's not the, there's no chance the oxen separated from each other. He's agreeing. He found two. Okay. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Yitzchak, but what happened to our Mishnah? 
What did our Mishnah say? When you find the lost object and you're returning it and you admit to half, there's no oath. So what are we going to do with this? How could Rabbi Yitzchak say you got to take an oath? Top of Amud Beis. Answer the Gemara: Who Dominic Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov holds like who holds like Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov? Oh, Shkayeh! What's Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov done with the Brisa? Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov, I'm here. Pa'amim, listen to this chaver. This is beautiful. Pa'amim, there are times. Shalom Nish that a person has to swear because of what they themselves are saying. You get yourself into trouble. Ketzad, for example. Somebody walks over to an orphan and says, I have your father's money. Your father gave me $100 and I need to return it. The Chalt of Pras, I already gave back $50 of it. Because you opened your mouth and you admitted to half, you admitted that you have it and you admitted to half, you're going to have to take an oath. This is the case where somebody's going to swear because of his own words. If you have a guy who walks over to an orphan and says, Rabid, your father gave me $100. I paid back $50. i am returning the other $50. He doesn't have to take an oath. You're like somebody who found the lost object. It was lost from this kid completely. He had no clue. There's little documentation, not coming after the guy. So it should be like a lost object, and there's no oath. Okay. For Blasmin Yaakov, lest they may survey the potter, but what's the Blasmin Yaakov going to do? He doesn't hold that when returning a lost object, you are potter. Why does he taka say, you're chaya v'shvua? Amar Rav, Rav says, betayanoi katan. This guy didn't go over to the Yasim. The Yasim came over to him. He says he got the story wrong. The Yasim came over to him. And he says, hey dude, my dad lent you a hundred bones. You got to pay up. And this guy says, uh, I paid back 50. That's what we say, you might have met us. Says the Gemara, cut me the Meshosha Islay. I don't understand. You have an eight-year-old kid walks over to somebody. Hey, my dad gave you a hundred dollars. You listen to the kid? A kid's not somebody to come make a claim in court. But tonight we went to the Mishnah. Ain nishbon al-tainas cherishat v'katan. You don't swear because of a claim of a cherishat v'katan. So be here also, you shouldn't be obligated to swear. The cotton came to you. Says the Gemara, my cotton godel. No. We're dealing with a godel. My carly cotton. Like we learned yesterday. This guy's called an orphan, but he's an adult orphan. Why are you calling him a cotton? Because everybody, when it comes to their father's estate, is considered a kid. What does it mean you're going to have to pay because of your own claim? Your own taina. Here's the case where this guy is going to have to pay according to his own claim. But you're not paying according to your own claim. You know why you're taking oath? Because an adult orphan came over to you and said, Dude, you owe my dad money. And you admitted to half. That's not your own claim. That's like a boss calling in somebody and says, You fired. And the guy's like, You can't fire me. I quit. You're already gone. So it's not called Tainas Atzmai. You're right, somebody else is claiming but he's admitting to half. And therefore he might have mixed nami. One second. This is the same as any time of them. It's the same as any claim. Yeah? What's the case of where you have a regular claim? You have somebody coming and saying, hey, listen, you owe 
A, B, or C. And the guy says, uh, some of it. That's a standard case. So how could there even be a machlaikas about Maidim Amitas? You can't have machlaikas. It's clearly going to have a chiyuv shvua. Okay. So it says the Gemara like this. You're right. That cannot be the case. Otherwise, what's this whole thing talking about? Ella rather b'derabba k'mifligi. Machlaikas. The machlaikas in our Mishnah is going according to the approach of Rabba. Who's in Amaira? Let's get into this. The Amar Rabba, Rabba explains. Rabba says, Mipne ma'amra ta'ira. What's the reason why the ta'ira says, When somebody missed a partial claim, you got to swear. Why? Why whenever I meet the 50%, you got you to swear? Chazaka. There's a status. A person doesn't have tremendous chutzpah in the face of somebody who did him a favor. The high. So therefore, nobody's going to be have chutzpah to say, you don't let me anything. The high, this guy, it's possible this, this borrower wanted to say, I owe you nothing. However, why didn't you say that? Because you don't have such chutzpah. Or you could say, as follows. The borrower who's admitting to have really is not trying to get out of the entire claim. Maybe he wants to pay the entire thing. He wants to. So then why do you only say, I owe half? He's trying to push off the collection. Not trying to pay you nothing. Trying to push it off. So the borrower's thinking, until I have money, and then I pay him off, I'll pay him. If you have the Torah says, Rami make him take an oath, so that we know the true, full story. Which means, he's got, once you place an oath, so what's going to come out is like this. Either, there's three options now. Ready? Young, the lender says, I, owe, I, I lent $100. The borrower says, 50 Shvui, take an oath. Three possible outcomes through that, of, of this oath. Outcome number one, he'll take an oath and pay 50. He actually borrowed 50. And if this guy wants to say, I 100, you have, you have to prove it. I'm sorry. Once he takes an oath, he's done with 50. Or, he won't take an oath and he'll say, you know, I was trying to get out of the whole thing. Uh, I can't get out of the whole thing. So I'll pay it. Or, He'll take an oath and say, I do owe the whole thing, but I could pay 50 now and I'll pay the next 50 in installments over the next year. Those are three possible outcomes. But either way, Rabbah says, this, was the, this is the reason for why Maideb Mitzas is Mechuyah bin Okay? So Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov Savar, Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov says, This logic applies whether the whether the lender himself is asking for the money or whether his children is asking for the money. The borrower will not have the chutzpah. Okay? The hokach and therefore, uh, 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 the hokach, lav meish ravedu. It's not considered like a meish ravedu and he's going to have to take a shua. The Rabbanu say, that the borrower only doesn't have chutzpah in the face of the guy who actually lent him the money. 
But it's possible if the lender kicks the bucket and his kids come to collect the money, then we'll say people do have chutzpah. And they will deny the entire thing. If you're not talking to the face of the one who lent you the money, you know somebody wasn't there. And since um, his maide b'mikzas has nothing to do with chutzpah, meishiv avedahu, he's considered a meishiv aveda, and he's not going to be mechoyev in Ashur. It's considered like a lost object. Again, there's no documentation. So the children are coming and saying, you owe $100. He says, I owe 50 We're not going to obligate anything. You know why? Because he could have said, I don't know your father money. Show me. Show me the money. Show me the document. There's nothing there. I don't want to pay you anything. But he admitted the 50 So what do we consider that 50 Like a Meshua Veda. He says, I, I agree your father gave money. You should have the story wrong. A guy says, I agree you lost $100. I found 50 it's the same thing. And therefore, says, says the Rabbanon, you're not going to be Mechoyev in Shul. Okay, we'll hold it here for today. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening, everybody. And a meaningful rest of your fast. Agit and Tug.